Hello and welcome to season three, episode eight of Duelist Community. I don't exist, and yet I'm here now, identifying as Andrew. I am the radiant light of the universe, whether you appreciate it or not, because sometimes that's how it comes across. You just don't recognize it as love, even though it's helping you change. It's been a weird week for me, I just got to say. Last week after our roundtable, I ended up getting sick. I caught a fairly high fever and I've been bedridden ever since up until yesterday where I got up and about. And of course, Saturday when I managed to jump on the group chat with all of our Patreon members, which is always a lot of fun. But it's been a week of self-reflection, not conceptual self-reflection so much as more of an act of sensitivity, just sinking into my body, sinking into who I am and what I am and what I'm feeling at the time and trying to remove my opinion of it so that way it is just what it is, which is an ongoing process. And so being sick is always a really interesting experience for me because I tend to ride pretty high cerebrally when I'm talking about all of this stuff. And it's very easy to almost get separated from the physical experience when you start talking about these otherworldly, insightful kind of metaphysical conversations. You start to think about the whole, you start to think about your part within the whole, you start to think about how everything is rippling outwards and inwards and everything is one giant flux. And then you kind of forget about your own individual peace within that, right? Because you're feeling the whole thing. And then when you get sick, immediately your energy drops, you're brought right back down to the ground floor, as it were. And in that state, I used to get a little worked up about it. I used to get upset and I used to get down about being sick, not having the same amount of insight and so on and so forth. And now I've kind of realized that there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity in that quote unquote lower state of energy um, to develop a sensitivity that the rest of the time I've almost got too much going on to do. Right? There's only there's almost too much in terms of my attention being on different projects to really settle into the experience that I'm having right now. And so unless you can make a practice of finding that calm, meditating, taking your own time, relaxing, getting away, that kind of thing, I find it very interesting that the body almost imposes rest upon you to remind you like, hey, you know, you might get something out of stopping right now. And it's not a cognitive thing at all. So your thoughts on that, Andrew, do you think that the body is almost like um, helping us regulate our state of mind if we were to just listen to it a little bit more closely? Yeah, I think definitely. And, and as much as we talk about, you know, I, identifying as reality, as the whole, there is still the experience of what we're having. And even though recently I've been questioning if I'm even a human necessarily, it's still, it's almost like it's still closer to identity. Like it, it's seemingly that, uh, that illusion of being a human is still, I don't know, more real seeming than other potential aspects. And, and so I think it absolutely brings you back because there is no disconnect between the mind and the body. So they work simultaneously in, in the same way without any disconnect. And what you're saying with recognizing and always kind of knowing that your reality and not this character of Ray, it reminded me of my experience, uh, my senior year of college on my baseball team. And so I was a captain my senior year and just, I had a lot of thoughts and ways that I thought our team could improve on the field, but also like a lot like off the field and team camaraderie and things like that. And I saw that how much of an impact that would have, because I felt like the seniors when I was a freshman did a really good job. And then there was my two years in between, just kind of like a, a lull in that. 
And so I wanted to bring that back and I got very caught up in trying to help my team. And I was still one of our better players individually. Like I played center field and all of that. And, and so I got so caught up in sort of identifying as the team and trying to help the team all the time and, and being so focused on how everyone else was doing with things, their, their mentality at the time that the start of my senior season, I did not play well at all because I was so caught up in how we're the whole was going that I kind of forgot that I was still an aspect of the whole. And it was like, because I was so sort of, I almost identified as that is that it was like, became an external from the reality that was closer to my experience. And I almost forgot that like, I am the team as well. And if I'm get too caught up in that, I won't have enough attention to give to myself. So luckily I was able to realize that and kind of turn things around and end up doing pretty well. But the first, I don't know, five, six, seven games, I was in a massive slump because I was so focused on everyone outside. And, and so I think there's a relation to the experience that we're talking about now and, and that identity as the whole and recognizing that you're not what you think you are and, and, whether you even exist is up for debate. There's still the reality that you're experiencing and the influence that you have here and now and the potential to impact the whole. But as long as you're so caught up in sort of the cerebral side of things of identifying and, and not existing and, and being the whole, you, you may miss out on the opportunity to have that influence over the whole here and now. So as much as it's very helpful to let go of the identity. And I even just filmed a TikTok that I haven't edited yet talking about how letting go of the idea of yourself is, is the aspect that the self-help gurus all miss. Like that's what leads to getting better as opposed to just feeling better. As we've seen with some of the non-duality experts out there, when you go too far, it's like you may begin to almost feel better through identifying as something that's outside of the experience and it can go almost too far sometimes. So like with everything, it's about finding that balance and it's always happening. And your opinion of that balance happening is completely unnecessary. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the whole thing, right? Like it doesn't always feel like love when we are challenged by reality, when, when something that we want to hold on to is suddenly taken away from us or shaken that doesn't feel like the love of the universe shining through, right? And because we're looking for a certain thing to be the love of the universe, often we'll run away from those experiences instead of looking at them as an opportunity to see something that maybe we, we wouldn't have seen otherwise. All of these new age spiritual gurus or these, these so-called teachers, they don't challenge identity because to do so would, be, would offend a lot of people. It would upset a lot of people. It would have upset far more people than it would make happy at the moment. And it's because it's an illusion that we're not willing to challenge or that we have avoided challenging for so very long. And so this conversation, while unpleasant for some people, and I, I do receive messages from people occasionally saying that the podcast is hard to listen to, not because we're unpleasant, not because we're not making sense, but because it questions everything that they've held onto their entire lives. But because we don't come across in a way where it's like, you need to question this. If you don't question this, you're going to suffer and blah, 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 blah. We just offer it as an option. It's more of a soft landing. It's more of, you can take it if you'd like to. We're just going to talk about it regardless. You don't have to stay. And that, I think, is probably the best way to express 
that kind of love that is challenging is to say like, you don't have to participate, but if you'd like to, if you'd like to challenge yourself, if you'd like to push a little beyond, I'm more than happy to sit here through the discomfort of that with you, right? And that is love because through sitting through that discomfort together, we gain strength together. We learn a whole new lesson and that causes a whole new ripple. Yeah, it's almost like if someone's starting to work out and they just really want to be jacked and have massive muscles. And so you, like if you have magical powers and you could either just give them the big muscles or sit there and over the next three years, watch them work out and sort of like support them through that. Obviously it's less comfortable to work out because through lifting weights that, you know, is very uncomfortable and you have to keep progressing in order to do that. But along the way, you learn so much, you build so much, you know, literal strength and also mental strength. And so that's what I kind of compare it to is, is we can give you this false sense of certainty or like this magic pill and sort of just say like, here, just, you know, hold on to this, cling to this belief and you'll feel better for a bit. But we also know that it's not sustainable. It's not long lasting. This conversation is long lasting, This con but it's not like with you know, building muscles, it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. And it's something that you have to do. And it's not that you have to do it, but if you want to do it, it is an option. And I reposted uh, my video, like, imagine if you had no past on Instagram. And every time I post it, it gets a mixed, mixed reviews essentially. And people get frustrated. They're like, oh, you can't let go of the past. Like I have family members who have died. I have traumas and blah, 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 blah. And my comments are like, I'm not forcing you to do it. You don't have to let go of the past. You can absolutely cling to it, but you're still suffering and you've been suffering and you've been looking for a way out and you can't, you can't really have it both ways. You can't keep clinging to those things that give you a false sense of certainty that soothe those fears temporarily and also get better. Oftentimes you can't feel better and get better. Sometimes you have to feel a little bit worse, go through some tougher times, let go of those ideas that you've been clinging to before you actually get better. It's like, sometimes it feels like, even though it's not the reality of it, it feels like you're taking one step back to go two steps forward. But every time you're, you're taking three steps forward, just you're perceiving it as one step back and two steps forward. And with the, uh, I want to bring up with the uh, spiritual gurus and teachers, identity is rarely questioned because they cling to the identity of being a teacher. And if they were to tell you to question identity and recognize that that's the truth, that is the truth of, of what will allow you to overcome all this suffering, they themselves have to let go of the title of teacher. So it's almost impossible. They're caught between a rock and a hard place. They can't both promote the, the true thing that's going to help you and hold on to being the guru, being the teacher. And that's why we're so adamant about telling you that we're not fucking gurus. We're not teachers. We're you. And we're just having a conversation. And if you want to listen, great. If you don't want to listen, that's cool too. But we'll still be here chatting away if you ever want to come back. <laughs> that's awesome. And that's so true. I mean, it's, it's so interesting how over the years, having this conversation going through different iterations of Ray, let's just say, um, and, and recognizing over and over and over again that I was putting myself up on a pedestal, regardless of the fact that I was doing so by trying to tear myself down, I was almost feeling higher for tearing myself down so much. And, and so you start to look at that process and you go, oh, okay. So all somebody has to ask me is, well, who the hell are you? And it all falls apart, 
right? Because now I, I either I'm going to abide by what I've been saying or I'm totally going to contradict myself. And so you have to just keep coming back to the realization that there is no you. There's no you to be a teacher, right? You are the whole. You are just what is, as is, as are all of us. And that's the interesting part about this. I was having a conversation with somebody on Discord about the relationship that we have with one another. It's so very tricky to talk about because as soon as we start talking about you and me, it's all falling apart, right? As soon as we start going, well, who is perceiving and who is the perceived? And it, there's no who, right? If you're walking down the street and you perceive a tree, you are the tree perceiving itself because there's no disconnect, right? So if there's no me and there's no tree, then everything is just what it is informing itself as its own process. It, it, everything is the awareness of awareness. Right. And it's interesting because we can't become aware, aware of awareness as a concept. If awareness becomes a concept, it's no longer awareness. Now it's an idea. Right. But the more we become aware of our awareness, the more we start to realize how many concepts for awareness we have. And then we have to let them go. And that brings us closer and closer to that point that is nothingness again. So I think reality, I was just toying with this the other day because everything is, is paradoxical and, and fractal. Um, reality or life is all of the states of awareness of itself compounded on top of each other, right? All of the infinite levels of, of self-awareness that we could have on every different part of ourselves from cellular and onward, they all exist at once. Reality is nothing but the infinite layers of self-awareness interacting with one another. So there's nothing but awareness of awareness. It's just that there's so many infinite shades of what that means that we have no, no choice but to try and divide it into concepts just to have the discussion. That's really interesting because we've talked about this before. And, and when you think from the single cell to multi-cell to you know, basic organisms to complex organisms to beyond the complex organisms and the environment and the larger environments, like those are all options that we can identify as essentially. Right. And as you let go more and more of the, uh, I'm putting lower level in quotes here, things, you know, like less complex things, as you let go of the identity at, of the level of, you know, the human, there isn't suffering that goes along with that identity because that, that suffering that you experience is tied to that level that you identify with. So there isn't as much suffering, the, the broader and broader it gets. So do you think with that, that we've just, because I was going to say we settled on identifying at the human sort of organism level, but it isn't even that because it's just an idea that we identify as. So it's not even the human because there's so many aspects of our body that we're not in any sense of control of, like they're all happening without us. And you could even argue that everything is happening without us. It's still happening. I'm still here now, but not the concept. The concept doesn't do anything besides create suffering in some way, shape or form. It, is that what you're mentioning? Like, is that what you're thinking about when you're talking about the levels? 
I don't know. That's that's how that's I. That's an interesting it. point, man. Like, so I'll give you an example just from the last week of my own life where I got sick and and things got you know, things went downhill pretty quickly. At one point in my life, I would have panicked. I would have worried about myself. I would have thought about my life and 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 the possibility of me dying. And there would have been a whole narrative and and a bunch of emotion and stuff that went there. And none of that dawned on me. None of that. None of that really worried me or, or bothered me in the in the slightest because I don't think of myself as Ray. And that's it. It's like, oh, Ray might die. And, and there's no fear of that because I'm not Ray, right? Ray is just one expression of me. And when I didn't know that, when it was conceptual, when it was philosophical or when it was a belief, it was all bullshit. Like you could say that and then you get sick and you'd be like, oh God, and immediately you're afraid, right? But the more you really just question everything, the more you, you get yourself out of the way and you start recognizing that all of your concepts, all of your concepts are just narratives. They're just stories. They're just things that make you feel better about you know, thinking you know who you are. Um, they're just that, they're just made up. They're made up and we grab onto them and then we, we tie ourselves to them and that becomes the, the cornerstone of what we protect and what we defend and what we're afraid of losing and that's our entire world. And so, yeah, I think that identifying as, as, as human is just the level of awareness that we got stuck at. We just went, yep, I'm human being. Look at me in my capacity to uh, think in terms of concepts and thoughts. Look at me in my capacity for speech and my, my opposable thumb and on all of that. And we just stopped there. We, we figured we reached the pinnacle. We were the top of the food chain. And if you look at our history, if you look at how we're educated, that's exactly how we look at humans. We look at them as, to, as being the pinnacle of evolution. No wonder we stopped, right? We, we set God beyond our sights. We, we set the entirety, the entire recognition that we are one as being something that's impossible because there was only one man who could recognize that and he was the only son of God and blah, blah, blah. And, and so, yeah, we just settled on sinners. Mind you, it, it did help that religions went out of their way to kill everybody who disagreed with it. Yeah, definitely did a, did a great job of solidifying that one. And even until for myself, even until not that long ago, like the last year, I still had this conceptual division between humans and the rest of reality. And I think so many people in our society, they don't see humans as nature. They see nature, everything else, animals, trees, bushes, grass, rivers, oceans. And then they see humans in this entirely separate category. And I think that derives so much of how difficult it is for everyone to recognize this because there's so much in the way. There's so many layers that you have to peel back. That being one of the biggest ones is seeing human humanity as something completely divided from reality as opposed to not divided whatsoever, not even a little bit divided, not even slightly divided. And as you see humans as divided from nature, you see yourself as divided from humans, as divided from reality, as divided from everyone else, what you think you are is separate. So there's so many layers to that and, and conceptual divisions. And I was thinking uh, before when you're talking about concepts and how you can't conceptualize and get to the root of the truth of, of what you are. Concepts, so I was thinking concepts need a perceiver. Like in order to have a concept, there is you that perceives the concept, right? So you can't 
conceptualize non-duality because as soon as you conceptualize it, there's you that's separate from that's separately perceiving it or, or you that's identifying as, as nothing, everything. And so in order to conceptualize anything, you need a perceiver. So you can't recognize the truth of reality through concepts, because as long as it's a concept, there's you, and it's entirely necessary for you to be there in order to believe that concept to be the truth. So that's what you have to let go of. And that's so much of our suffering is derived from that belief that I am something that is separate, that I am something that perceives, that I'm something that can conceptualize things. And it's not to say it's a bad thing. It's something that's an opportunity for us to do, but you know, we take it to be the truth and it's gotten us here. And unfortunately we have a tendency to isolate and that actually reinforces that illusion that we're disconnected entirely, right? Like the way that humanity has evolved to build cities and towns that are separate from nature or to be, to be able to limit how much nature is involved with our day-to-day -day lives. The fact that we live within um, walled buildings that completely separate us from the rest of reality, they, that all makes it very difficult for us or, or rather it makes it more difficult for us to recognize how we are one with everything because frankly, we're not living that way. We can't recognize it because of the, the type of lifestyle that we're, we are existing within the symbolism there, right? So one thing that I, I encourage people to try if they'd like to, it's something I enjoy doing. Um, might sound a little crazy to anybody who hasn't been listening to the podcast, but whatever. If you go and find a field near you, it doesn't matter where it is, could have I don't know, 100 people, 200 people, no people, it doesn't really matter. Just find a place in nature or as close to nature as you can and sit down and let yourself go. Let go of all of your thoughts of yourself. Let go of all of your thoughts of your body as separate in, in general. Like just let go of the perceiver as much as you can and sink into the experience. And what you'll start to find is that there is no separation between your awareness of, of the park around you and the park itself, that, that you are in fact the awareness of the park, that your awareness and the trees and the grass and the wind blowing and the people playing on, across the field, it's all the same thing until you start thinking about yourself and you separate yourself from the flow. Right? But you are a part of that flow all the time, all the time. It's just that we never listen to it. We never actually get out of the way enough to just be a part of it. And this is something, again, I've, I've learned in martial arts is that the more you think about yourself, the easier it is to manipulate you. Whereas the more relaxed you are in a situation where you're fighting against somebody else, the more fluid you tend to be. And it's because you're allowing them to initiate, or rather you're allowing them to influence you rather than trying to control the situation. So you allow the, the situation to happen and then align with it to change the direction that it goes rather than trying to hit it with a club and make it go in a different direction entirely because that's what you want and what you're and you're afraid it's not going to happen right and so there's that level of self-faith but it's always in the relinquishing of control it's always in relinquishing this idea that i am a separate part that if i get my way that's how it's going to go the best right you're not a separate part that's the point but we disconnect from that cerebrally conceptually yeah, I was, uh, that brought about a point I was thinking about the other day, but first when you go sit in a park and, and let go of the idea of you, I do that a lot now with walking, like walking around, I won't have anything on, uh, in my ears, like listening to anything. Sorry. I just want to make sure I don't forget that other point that, uh, I'm like writing down a note here. Um, so 
when I walk around, I don't have anything that I'm listening to. And when I was at the beach the other day, there's stretches of, or last week, there's stretches of beach that don't really have any people. And I was closing my eyes and walking, like letting go, not only letting go of me as being anything separate from my environment, but also closing my eyes. And it's like a crazy experience because you start to almost see everything with your eyes closed. And there's such a sense, like I was walking along the ocean line and I could tell you know, when the water was about to hit me. And I never knew that if I was say looking somewhere else, it would like be a surprise if the water, the waves were coming up and like hit me in the feet or the leg, or if it was strong, it would be like kind of jarring But with my eyes closed. I knew exactly how far it was. And there was almost, there was a feeling when it wasn't there, but it was close. And it was like an, an anticipatory feeling, but it was also like definitely a feeling. So it was really cool to, do that because I've never really done that, like closing my eyes while I'm walking. Like I, I really can't do that in New York. It's just way too, too sketchy. I mean, I could probably for a few feet, but I was able to do it for probably at least a hundred feet. And it was really fascinating to experience that and how much of our reality is dictated based on what we see. And and when we can let go of that, it's like everything else is raised, like all of our other senses are raised. So it makes you wonder as you get your idea of yourself out of the way, how much more of your mind is capable of doing things and how many, how much more of your mind can be unlocked because the idea of ourself is such a massive part that we think about all the time. And we've talked about this in the past with sleep, like how much sleep do we really need if you're able to let go more and more of the idea of yourself? How much more can we impact as we let go more and more of the idea of ourselves? And the movie Lucy I think thinking about it in a way, instead of her just unlocking more of her brain, she's letting go more and more of the idea of herself. It's like they happen together at the same time. Like she's letting go more and more of the idea of herself. And that's almost leading to more of her brain being unlocked because there isn't so much being held in terms of her idea of herself. And the other thing I wanted to bring up was I was thinking about us and our impact on reality and, and people are like, oh, well, you're you because you can move your hand and like you can't move my hand, whatever. And it's like, you know, that comes down to what you identify as at the end of the day. But the other thing is I was thinking I was like looking at my the hairs on my arm. I was like, people say that, you know, I'm me because I can move my hand and, and not their hand, but I also can't move the hairs on my arm. So does that mean that they're not me? So it's kind of like a rebuttal to that statement just because I can't move your arm doesn't mean it's not me. It's just the functionality of my reality. And as you build more sensitivity, you know, who's to say I can't pick a hair on my arm and, and raise it up. Like, why do we think that's a limitation? Is it just something we haven't practiced as much because it's not a function that's really very beneficial to our day-to-day -day progress and evolution as a species? Like obviously moving our hands played a massive role in our evolution and being able to do things moving an arm hair doesn't have much benefit that, you know, we could understand, but who's to say that we couldn't, if we practice and, and build sensitivity to that too, kind of makes you wonder. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that was, or not specifically that, as I don't think there are a lot of monasteries that are specifically um, dedicated to moving arm hair, but there have been numerous orders throughout history who have practiced things very much in that vein. And what I mean is that, you know, like the Sufis, for example, the whirling dervishes or, or some of the, uh, the Shaolin monks and their training and things like that, like they, 
learn how to focus on things in ways that the rest of us never learn or even, even consider being possible. Being able to meditate underground with almost no air, for example, for several, for several days at a time. That takes a hell of a lot of focus. That takes a lot of relaxation. There's a lot of, of practice that goes into that as well as an entirely different mentality. You can imagine the years and years and years of commitment that would go into just being able to be calm enough to say, sure, bury me. I'll see you in seven days without worrying about it, right? So there, there is possibility in this conversation in terms of how much can we adapt our focus? How much can we hone our attention or our awareness on a single thing? Not even on a single thing, but how much can we hone our general awareness as well? Because not just on the one individual part, but the entirety as a whole as well. That's a good question. I wanted to return quickly, actually, to what you were saying about the senses. Because I wonder about that. Because we always think of it in terms of uh, the five senses, you know, taste, touch, smell, blah, blah, blah. But that's just how we interpret it right? That's how we experience those senses. But really all we're experiencing is more energetic contractions, more energetic waves. We just tend to think of them as the five senses, right? And then we disregard them as such. But there's so much more to a smell than just an odor. And there's so much more to a sound than just what the sound is. There's the vibration of the sound, the impact of the sound, how it's received, all of this stuff. And so it's really just more communication. It's more energetic communication between what is and us as what is. And so it makes me wonder if what we consider to be the five senses are just our way of interpreting energy in a way that's easier for us to understand and interact with. Like, I wonder if cells that are passing by one another in our body hear each other. That is a very interesting conversation that uh we can absolutely get into and i wonder too with the senses it's just another concept right like the five senses but they work in tandem together that's the word i was looking for before in tandem so with something like smell and taste if you plug your nose you can't taste as much or can't taste as well and so yeah when you think about you know cells passing by each other it's it's as above so below who's to say that there isn't sensitivity to their environment in the terms of sense holy shit senses and sensitivity fuck i've never connected that oh man so it's really just deriving sensitivity and attention to your reality is senses and sensations and sensitivity and they're all sort of along the same lines i've never connected those words before but yeah it makes you wonder like as you build sensitivity your senses get heightened, you're, you're closer to the reality of what you are as the here and now, because they're always happening here and now. And so when I, for example, when I was walking and I closed my eyes, like I almost had more sensitivity to my environment because there wasn't as much available for me to perceive. Like maybe that is a factor in our belief that division is the truth of what we are, that the illusion of duality isn't an illusion is because there's just so much complexity for us to perceive both within ourselves, like as humans or, you know, whatever we are and our environment, there's so much out there. But as we come back to the truth of, of recognizing what we are and don't feel or, 
or don't derive everything is so complex, it makes you wonder if the illusions won't be quite as strong. And when you think about less complex organisms, like even animals, for example, they, they don't, at least I don't think they suffer nearly as much as humans. They don't get caught up in their idea of themselves. They don't have, you know, brand shoes or brand t-shirts that they put on to make themselves feel better. They don't give a fuck what house they sleep in or how nice of a restaurant they go to at night. They're just focused on, you know, eating and all the basic necessities. And is it because they perceive less complexity? And even these uh, morning doves that keep trying to build nests on my little windowsill here, like I watch them, like I've learned so much from them because they just sit there. There's two of them that trade places every couple hours, maybe a couple times a day. They just sit there all day. That's it. Just chilling. It starts raining. They're like soaking wet and shuddering. They don't move. They're not. So I even wonder if, if they're suffering when they're sitting there in the rain, when it's, they don't look like they're having a great time. Like how much of that is really suffering or is it just they're reacting to their environment. They're trying to warm up through shivering that, you know, moves our body and warms us up. And so I wonder if, if they have any thoughts whatsoever about the situation, or is it just, they are reality and they are acting accordingly based on, you know, the DNA and, and everything else that's involved in that process that they are, because they're just process. And yeah, it's just, it's funny seeing that in nature and seeing humans as nature, but we've gotten so far from that belief and it's, it's created so much suffering within ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely has. And then I don't know, in the natural world, there's always inconveniences and there's consequences to everything. I mean, when you live in the bush, for example, you're just going to get dirty and wet. And sometimes you just can't escape the elements in that. So you learn to adapt because you could keep bitching about it, but it's not going to do anything. And eventually people are going to stop listening to you. And so you just have to learn to adapt. But if you had been born in the bush, if you had never known anything else, it would just be what is, right? And you would just learn to live that way. But we have a tendency to narrate all of our opinions. We have a tendency to, a tendency to have very concrete ideas of what should be and what shouldn't be. And I think a large part of that is just how many options we've been introduced to over our lives. I mean, the entirety of our culture is based on this idea of control. So if we're raised under the idea that you can have control, we're gonna have more opinions when we don't, You know, especially if it's always the carrot that we're being offered, right? Like you could have control and when we don't, then all of a sudden immediately our brain's like, oh, this could have been better if I just had control as everybody else keeps telling me I should. And, and that's when things get all you know, awry, whereas, if we didn't necessarily always have that carrot being offered to us, if we were modeled or, or if it was modeled a little bit more consistently, that influence and alignment leads to working together, leads to less conflict, leads to, to more um, unity and more compassion, more, uh, more love, let's just say, right? It gives us the ability to improve our lot for everybody. Then that would be, I think, something that we would tend to look at as more of a strategy, working together. But again, with the idea of control, that's always our, our fallback, right? If I don't like this, I can like this. I just need more control. Yeah, it's crazy that disparity and that confusion with believing that control isn't an illusion. And 
it's like what our whole fucking system is based upon is this false sense of certainty. And because of that, we miss the influence that we have. It's like, I think, did I mention this in a recent episode, like teeter totter comparison? I think, I think I did. That's, I, I think I said it there. Maybe it was in a Patreon chat, but yeah, it's like the teeter totter of control versus influence. And as we cling to the idea of control, we aren't able to see the influence that we have now. And that's where change happens. That's where freedom lies. But as long as we, because everyone thinks they have control and we're, we're fed this narrative that you can have control if you just do this, if you just buy this, if you just follow me, if you just do this, like it, it still doesn't exist. And it's not about finding that control. It's about becoming okay with not having it. It's about realizing, oh, I don't have control. Everything beyond right now is completely uncertain and that's okay. Like that's, that's where it lies. And similarly, it's not about building up a positive idea of yourself. It's about letting go the idea of yourself and recognizing that that is where you align with reality. That is where you align with the flow and, and build that faith in yourself and find the ability to take that next step without knowing what you're going to land on, but knowing that you're going to land on something. And, but as long as you cling to the ideas of control and the ideas that you are something that's separate, there's always the opportunity for suffering and anxiety and fear and struggle. And they're always there. There's no amount of illusion of control or false sense of certainty that allow you to let go of those because you're still there. And as long as you're still there, those are all able to be felt. And it's not to say that they're never able to be felt as you let go, but the more and more you let go, the less potent and, and powerful those feelings tend to seem and and they're uh severely less overwhelming as well yeah but it's a tricky line right like when you're in a conversation with somebody and they say something that is directed at your character let's just say that they are feeling insecure and they say something that's designed to tear you down a notch it's a practice to be able to hear that feel it recognize what it means about the person you think you are and then remind yourself, right, but I'm not that person. And to just watch it slide off in the middle of the conversation like it didn't happen, right? That's the practice, right? It's not to say that, that it didn't get processed. It's not to say that you didn't learn from it. It's not to say that there wasn't a moment where you recognized what the communication or where the communication was coming from, what the intention was, even if it was unintentional, right? It's that you had all of that, processed it, and that was it it didn't become another part of your identity. It never became added to the narrative. Like, oh, this person challenged me and they tried to tear me down, but I showed them. Like, you didn't do any of that. You just went and I watched it happen and I learned from it and I moved on, right? And it wasn't even I, it was just, it happened. Things are just happening, right? Like I'm just along for the ride. It's that idea of myself that gets in the way. This is something I've talked to a few people about recently as well, because we talk about, not being our past. And I know this is something that, that you've received some blowback from because it's a pretty um, difficult thing to recognize when you've had a traumatic past. But it's not that the past didn't happen. I mean, obviously, 
you know, things are cumulative, we are experiencing linear time, or at least as far as we know, that's a different conversation entirely. I, I uh, encourage anybody who wants to know more to go back to the last community topics episode, community topics number one, because it was very interesting. Anyway, the point is, is that the procession of time might happen, but the idea of yourself is not a part of that. The idea of yourself is something that you build through the procession of time. It does not exist on its own. You have to carry it with you. That idea of yourself is what you don't have to hold on to. It's not that the past didn't happen. It's that your interpretation of that past, having anything to do with your value, anything to do with your worth, anything to do with what you're capable of, all of that is bullshit. None of that idea that you formed as a result of the procession of time is real. What happened happened, but now is still the same infinitely limitless moment. As long as you're not holding on to a box that stops you from moving. That's what we mean. The perception of our past is not our past. Our, our, the perception of ourself going through our past is also not our past. Those are all superficial assumptions and and singular pers perspectives that are based on our self-image it changes yeah and that that idea of yourself like you can't have it without the past as long as you cling to the past and believe that to be the truth and carry it with you you carry that idea of yourself but as you let go of that being tied to what you are is that being tied to that idea of, of what you think you are, you can't really have much of an idea anymore. And that's why for me, like literally it's the experience that woke me up was recognizing for a moment, imagining for a moment that I don't have a past. And it, it allowed me to see more clearly that that idea is entirely rooted in the past. And so even in that moment that I experienced that, and I'll never forget that, that moment, but even in that moment, there were still memories of the past. The only difference was they weren't personal anymore. They didn't have to do with me. They were just noises that I can hear. So it, it's not to say, and when I say that, it's just an exercise. It's just a, a door that I open to allow people to, to see, hey, here's something that might help. You can walk in if you want. If not, you can stay over there. Not a big deal. I, I won't suffer about it. Like I won't lose any sleep at night. But it, it's an opportunity and it's not to say that the past won't still be there. It's just not tied to you. And something else I was thinking of is, as you were talking about that was with our environment and the impact that our environment plays and the impact of, of being with friends and family, especially who have known, maybe know your past and know this idea of you. It can be sometimes more difficult to let go of that because they hold on to it. And I've, I had a one-on-one -on -one earlier today and we were talking about how much people from the past cling to certainty. And, and that certainty involves you. You are something, the idea of you is something that's certain in their environment and, and people crave certainty and, and they fear uncertainty more than anything, arguably anything in our society. And so as you change, people will see that. And even if say you have this less positive idea of yourself from your past and, and more positive idea of yourself now or whatever, or, or you've started starting to being perceived as, as 
like you've done more in your life now than you used to. And people sort of resist that also because they have this idea of themselves and, and maybe they used to have this idea of themselves that was above their idea of you. And now they have this idea of you that's above them. And so they're definitely going to resist that. And they're going to try and bring you down and be like, no, nah, you're just, you're just that person. You're just that guy from, you know, back in high school, from, from back growing up, you're, you're just the same old dude. And it's like, they're just clinging like with, by a thread to that idea that you are still what they think you are. And it's no different than the ideas that we carry with us about ourselves. It's the same thing. Our idea of ourselves, our idea of our environment, our idea of the external, our idea of the internal, they're seamlessly integrated. And as you cling to an idea of yourself, you will cling to the external and needing to cling to those ideas as being the truth as well. So it, it goes along with our ideas of, of other people and, and how they perceive us. So when it comes to friends and family, it can be more turbulent to let go. And I think changing environments and letting go of people who keep trying to cling to that idea of you as you grow and, and learn more and let go more and more of the idea of you, they're going to keep many of them, not everyone, but a lot of people are going to keep trying to cling to that idea of you and keep sort of reminding you subtly that you are that idea. So sometimes there will be opportunities to just separate. And it's not to say cold Turkey, but just spend less time around them and, and realize that their perception of you is also not the truth. Just like your perception of yourself, your perception of them, your perception of reality is also not the truth, but it can help to recognize that and recognize where it comes from for people and their desire for certainty in an uncertain world involves you as well. So seeing that will, you know, allow for a little bit more empathy as well. And through that, you can let go of taking their perception and ideas to be the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in some cases, it is necessary to just up and move. I think that in some cases, the best way for you to be able to spread your wings or, or to push beyond um, the perception of yourself that you've become so attached to, or rather that you become so used to being the truth is to get into, an, uh, get into a new situation where you don't know anything at all. And this is one of the reasons I enjoyed moving so much when I was younger is that every time I'd end up in a new city or every time I'd end up in a new environment, it was also a new me. It was a new chance for me to grow as a person in a new environment, which means to grow as a part of that environment, because we're always part of our environment, right? And so that was always an opportunity for me to let go of who I thought I was and try again. Unfortunately, which I didn't re recognize at the time, I was just trying to build another idea of myself within this new environment, which is having the same consequences. So if you can recognize that, and use every opportunity that you get a chance to change environment as an opportunity to just recognize that you're never what you think you are, then you'll find that you're always adapting. You're always just changing, but people don't understand that all the time. And you can try and explain it to them. You can be patient with them. You can, you know, you can recognize that maybe they're not going to understand. That's pretty much it, but they're not always going to until one day they do. You know, I, I've had a number of friends who, I guess over the years, they've just more or less stayed away because they recognize that my mentality 
doesn't align with a lot of their own religious views, let's just say. And it's not that they have anything against me, but they know in talking to me about something that somebody within their environment wouldn't question, I will question. Right? If I was to go over for dinner, for example, and they were to start telling us a Bible story, I would jump in and start having part of that conversation. And so as a result, they don't really invite me over as a result, but it's not because they don't like me. It's because they can't stand the fact that I'm not living within that, insul that, that insulated box that they live within, right? It makes them uncomfortable for me to question the box. That doesn't mean I don't question the box and I don't feel bad about doing so, but my intention isn't to make them feel like lesser people. Right? Like we've often talked about the value of calling out bullshit. There is also a value in recognizing that people's bullshit isn't bullshit to them. Right? To them, it's important. To them, it's what they've learned to, to rely on and attach to. It's part of their environment. Right? And so calling it out while it is a service is also an act of destruction. And if you're not willing to sit through that act of, of destruction to see it, all the way through at least to take accountability for the fact that you are causing that 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 ripple there's no compassion in it you're just trying to be right again right so i, I think it's important just to to be yourself regardless of how that comes comes across but to do it with the intention of not causing harm it doesn't mean you're not going to it's just that it's not your intention to do so. Sometimes people are insecure and that's okay, but if you're willing to let them be and just communicate that you're not trying to hurt them, that they will get stronger or that we can get stronger together, that's the best thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. And it really comes down with that to, I'm out there helping myself because that person clinging to those beliefs and ideals, everyone that's gonna come across them, that's gonna be like, oh, well, I guess I have to cling to this belief and ideal. It's like, but you don't. And if there's not someone out there questioning it and, and having a conversation and they go unquestioned and we stick to this whole love and light thing, then are we really doing much good or are we allowing for the illusion to be exacerbated through allowing it to be and not saying anything, not being involved? And we were talking, I think on the group chat about when, when you don't do anything, when you're absolutely passive with everything, that's a choice too. And we're always making choices. And it's not to say that being passive is always correct just because everything just is and everything is just happening and everything is what it is. That's still a choice as opposed to taking some action and speaking up and saying something is a choice nonetheless. And there's a... <laughs> when we were down at the beach, we went to, um, family's house and it's like a big party they have every year. And usually there's a priest there. Unfortunately, there wasn't this year. And my brother was like in my ear on the way over there. He's like, dude, you got to talk to this priest, man. Like, that would be awesome. I just want to be there for it. And I was like, I don't know really how, how great that would go. And he was like, well, do you think he's going to be able to like, you know, counter some stuff you say? I'm like, Usually these conversations don't go super great for the ones clinging to belief because their whole motto is don't question, don't question, just believe. So as soon as someone comes in and gives them a little poke, like, hey, have you ever wondered this? What about this? What about this? They don't go back and forth. They just bottle up and they're like, you're being disrespectful. You're 
you know, making me uncomfortable. This isn't nice. This isn't, you know, you're doing bad things. Stop making me question. It's uh, I'm uncomfortable, you know, all that shit. And I was just explaining to him, like, that's usually how it goes because, and I know Ray has a ton of experience with these types of conversations. So I'm curious if, if there's ever been ones that did end up being a conversation because unfortunately the priest didn't end up being at the party. He usually is, but I don't, I don't think I would have actually like gotten into dualistic unity talk with him. Um, but yeah, just thinking about it, I was like, I don't see how this could go in any way that doesn't make him aggressively uncomfortable or frustrated or even angry because it's his entire life is based around exactly what I would be asking him about and, and questioning. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's difficult, but I will say that, yes, I've had plenty of conversations where it actually didn't go terribly, where the conversation continued on for several hours amicably. And it was largely a result of just not having a point to make so much as being the point. That was pretty much it. It's just, hey, I'm going to sit here and chat with you. I'm not going to say anything that that's uh, metaphysical. I'm not going to go into that deeper realm until you and I have established some kind of a connection, a rapport, right? And that's really important that that person at least feels that you are open in your communication and that they are as well. And that's not always easy. I'm not going to say that, you know, every time you go into a conversation, you're going to be able to make it work because that is certainly not the case. I'm going to say straight up, like more than half the time, that person is going to get upset and walk away or vilify you exactly as Andrew has said. But over time, if you learn to practice um, what the real point is, which isn't any of the conceptual stuff, it's not any of the otherworldly stuff. It's, it, it really is just about the connection between you and I here and now in our conversation as authentically and vulnerably as, as we can, that has infinite possibility in terms of where that conversation can go. Because if you can get somebody to just have a, to just have a genuine moment of empathy for you and your existence, they're more likely to connect with what you're saying, right? But if you come across as saying like, you know, well, you believe in a fiction, and this is just the way things are and blah, 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 blah. They're immediately going to take, they're going to take a defensive stance because they are afraid. That's why they hold on to their belief, right? But you know that going into the conversation. So if you know somebody's afraid, you don't go into the conversation and give them reasons to fear. You go into the conversation and you make them feel like they have a safe space to process things. And then you start picking away at the reasons they're afraid. And in this case, it's always the same one, uncertainty. Life is uncertain. And we all know that. That is the one thing that we can all relate on. Life is uncertain. And that uncertainty is terrifying if we don't have faith in ourselves. And this is something that I've managed to, to use as a conversation piece with numerous different people over the years. And it does work just to recognize that life is uncertain. And in that uncertainty, we are in line with what's happening. But when we're thinking about it, when we're running from it, when we're trying to control it, when we're trying to come up with reasons to not be afraid and all of that stuff, then we just live in a little box and it disconnects us and we get blindsided by things and all these things happen that cause conflict for us. That's it. Didn't mention God once, didn't talk about unity, didn't talk about Jesus Christ, didn't mention the crucifixion. There was nothing there whatsoever except the one thing that you and I can relate on, uncertainty and how we deal with it. And so if you can 
empathize with somebody on that level in a conversation. You don't have to go into religion. You don't have to go into anything. It's just a human experience. And that human experience influ influences them far more than any clever, uh, cleverly worded sentence ever will. Like a genuine moment of sitting with someone in presence and just appreciating the moment that you're in is huge. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think that is the difference between this being something that isn't conceptual versus being conceptual, because as long as it's conceptual, like, you know, when it comes to non-duality, like the recognition of the reality of non-duality versus the conceptual idea of non-duality, because with the conceptual idea of non-duality, there's, there's rules, there's barriers, there's things you have to remember, and there isn't an ability to move with the flow. It's the same sort of pre-scripted conversation that you have with people. And there's not really so much a way to relate it to everything, to literally everything, which we're able to do. And that's why we don't, we talk about basically everything because it, it all is within the realm of reality. Obviously there's topics we, we touch on more and more and, and the reality of what you are, but that's the root of our entire experience. And so I think with being able to relate it to people and, and connect with people can only be done through the recognition of, of what it is outside of the concept of what it is. And something I was thinking about while you were talking about that and the recognition that like nothing, everything is uncertain and nothing really exists outside of the experience that you're having and talking to the priest and just bringing it back or, or the religious person, bringing it back to the experience that you're having. I took a nap earlier today, just a quick one. And as I was falling asleep, this, it felt like I was tripping. It was, it was very funny, which is starting to be more and more of a common experience as I'm falling asleep and just uh, throughout my, all of my reality. But I went back to uh, my neighbors when I was younger, their backyard and just playing in their backyard, like doing whatever we're doing. And it hit me like that experience hit me and, and being a kid hit me because I was probably, I don't know, seven or eight years old. Like nothing existed outside of that experience that I was having in that moment. Like there was no idea of anything else happening in the world whatsoever. And I kind of forgot how much, like I was fully a kid again, like I was in their backyard, like going through it. And there was no ideas of anything, even, you know, my house right next door or my parents' house right next door. Like there was no idea of like, Oh, is anyone home? Whatever. It's just, we're just playing in the backyard, hanging out, doing our stuff. And so much as we grow up, it's like, we're taken out of that. There's like in the, in the balancing and other teeter-totter examples like our reality here now versus our reality outside of here now and is as we grow up it's like our reality outside of here now is is the higher part of the teeter-totter when we're younger it's like there's almost no reality externally and i think with that comes the idea of ourself that's that's based on the external that's based on everything outside of the reality that we're having here now, because being a kid, like you don't have much idea of yourself. You don't give a shit what shirt you're wearing or what someone else, how much 
money someone else has or all of these things that we cling to as we get older and take to be the truth. And with all of those concepts and those ideas of ourselves, they're all outside of the reality of our experience here now. Within the reality of our experience here now, there aren't any of those concepts. There is no comparison to me to be made. There is no illusion of division because everything is the experience here now. So I just found it interesting how much of a connection there is between just being here now and that being it, because even, even now with the mentality I have, it's still very much a, a learned experience. And over time, it's just less, you get more and more disconnected from your reality here now. And I think I've become more connected to it over the past year, but in comparison to my memory of that experience, it was like, there was no comparison. There, there was, there were no ideas yet of anything outside of my reality. So I just found that interesting how it ties so closely to our conceptual idea of ourself, like the, the external from our reality that we're experiencing. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that we were talking about with in the round table last week um, in terms of play therapy, right? Like we talk play therapy, but play is really just being present in what you're doing, right? And we could, it's funny that we'd call it therapy, but it really is just being ourselves. That's why it feels so good, right? And I wanted to mention quickly uh, for our listeners that, of course, at the retreat that's coming up in November, we've already had a few people recommend that we have some playtime, that we pretend a little bit, maybe build some forts, you know, jump over some fake lava, that kind of thing. We're going to have a blast. And if you haven't already decided to come to the retreat, it's definitely something you're going to want to consider because it's going to be a lot of fun. The other reason is because you're going to be able to see the communication that I'm talking about in real time, in first person. You'll be able to actually talk to me and Andrew and recognize how we speak to people because how we speak to people is largely based on how we see ourselves. And so when I'm talking to somebody, I'm very relaxed. I'm very easy to talk to. Like when Andrew first showed up here in, in uh, June, there was no, oh, he doesn't know this about me and I don't know this about him. And there wasn't any of those, there was no moment where we put the brakes on because we were uncertain of the narrative. It was whatever was happening in the moment. And then it just became its own dance, which is what it's supposed to be in communication. The fact that we talk about the deeper end on, on this podcast, that's just because that's what this podcast is all about. We want to talk about those deeper things. We want to get through all the illusions and all that stuff. But when, when I'm just interacting with another human being and they're not necessarily looking for that depth or they're not looking to... to uh, learn anything or they're not looking to, to work through anything. They just want to hang. That's it. I just hang. I'm just there. That's all it is. But that is probably more useful to them than I would be in a life coaching session. In my opinion, in my opinion, my company as your friend, just sitting down is more helpful than my company as a life coach giving you advice. And it's because on the one hand, I'm imparting information that you are then taking and judging yourself and trying to apply to yourself. And it's all cerebral. On the other hand, you and I actually feel a connection. And in that connection, you feel trust, you feel relaxed, you actually feel more open. And all of that is what makes the difference. It's just that moment of opening up just a little bit. And all of a sudden, all the doors change, all the options change, the conversation totally changes and you as a person 
suddenly have an entirely different iteration of the kaleidoscope to explore. But it comes through opening up and it comes through relaxing. It's the most counterintuitive thing when we talk about how cerebral and metaphysical all of these concepts can be. But the truth of them, the way to actually recognize them and not just get lost in, in the concept is to relax and allow the truth to unveil itself. The concepts kind of point the way, but if you get stuck on the concepts, they will always be limits. They will always be a limited version of what you are actually looking at. The concept is never the truth, right? Yeah, it's like trying to experience peace, like trying to get to a state of peace, trying to get to a state of enlightenment. It's like you're missing it. As soon as you take a stride towards it, as soon as you try and get there, you miss the reality of it because that stride is it. <laughs> that that reality that you are in this moment is it. That's it. But you have to let go of you because you're not a part of that. You're not involved in that state of peace, in that state of joy, in that state of enlightenment. So that's that's what it comes down to. But yeah, with uh, just to touch on the retreat and how fucking awesome it's going to be, when I met with Ray, it was so funny because it was probably one of the first times, one of the first people I've been around besides, you know, some of my family, some of my very close friends that I was like starting out like, oh, still had some walls. And I don't know if there's probably been some sense of a shift in our conversation just since we met in person, because before then I still had walls and I still was like, I got to keep you know, can't share everything, you know, whatsoever. And after, I don't know, probably a couple hours, maybe at least within the first day, I was like, oh, fuck, I don't need any walls. Like, this is fucking great. And like, they all came down and there was nothing that was off limits because there's no judgment because what I do, Ray does, what I've experienced, Ray experienced as me. And he knows that. And I'm, building more sensitivity to recognizing that. And it's, it's cool, but it's fucking powerful, seriously powerful. Cause it's a level of freedom that you don't really get many places because everyone has their walls. Everyone has their judgments. Everyone has their perceptions of themselves, which divides them from the reality of their experience from reality itself, this belief that they aren't it. And as soon as you recognize that you're it, there isn't so much room to judge people in certain ways or, or have these notions about them or have these ideas of them because they're in flux just as much as you are. And there's just a level of freedom that's fascinating to experience when you're in a room and interacting with someone like that because it's so uncommon in our human experience as, as we see it now. But it's really cool. So yeah, I mean, that retreat is going to be something else. And I'm so pumped for it. What is it now? Three, three months away. Yeah. Three months. Holy, less than three months. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. I am very excited for that. That's going to be a fucking crazy week, man. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And it's so funny because in one of my TikToks, when I first joined TikTok, there was, uh, I don't remember who they were. I wasn't following them. I just ran across... Uh, their video and they were crying and they were saying like you know tell me you love me without telling me you love me and then obviously they were depressed I was like okay so I made a video and I and I, I expressed that while my life at one point was 
an absolute hell. And there were numerous challenges that I've gone through that looking back, I know I, I had wished that I hadn't had to go through them. I am very grateful now for all of those experiences because they've all taught me to take myself less seriously. They've all taught me to get out of the way. They've all made it easier for me to just allow you to be yourself, which is the whole point out of all of this. It's so, it's so funny to me that the trajectory of my education has been more or less to, to serve. And I, I enjoy that. I know at one point in my life, I was really resentful about having to give up what I wanted all the time because it's like, you know, okay, I'm feeling better about myself. Maybe I'm going to go for this now and everything would fall apart. And I'd lose all of my equilibrium and I would start judging myself. Like, why, why is that happening? Right. And, and it was because I was still trying to build up that idea of myself. And you can do that. Don't get me wrong. You can pursue anything you want in life. You want to build an empire, you can build an empire. There's going to be a consequence to it, but that's up to you. And then that, that's just fine. But for me over time, I have found the most rewarding part of my existence is you, the listener, is you, the person I'm communicating with, the reality that I'm a part of. I love connecting with you. I love being able to get out of the way and watch your potential flourish. And in every interaction I have with people, I find that that's the only thing I really want to do is get out of the way and allow them to become what's possible or allow them to experience what they're capable of. And that's more rewarding than anything I've ever met, I, I've ever encountered in the rest of my life. And it's not because there's a reward. That's the funniest part about it, but because there is a sense of fulfillment in that I am recognizing on a deeper and deeper level that I am you that we are one. And as a result of that, we're changing our path again. But it's so very funny that at one point I was resentful of that. It was really difficult to, to let go of what I wanted until you start realizing that what you really want isn't going to happen as a, as a result of chasing your desires. What you really want is what you already are. Oh, <laughs> fuck, man. Yeah, it's crazy how far we've gotten from that recognition and you know seeing yourself and everyone when you're talking about all of that it's like them accomplishing things is you accomplishing things so it's like that's that's the fulfillment in and of itself and you don't have to carry the weight of all the shit that your identity goes along with and you're still able to experience everything anything and everything and still strive for that process. And I, I feel like so many people talk about this, like people who have been successful and don't get to a place of, of building up this massive identity of them, of themselves or this idea of themselves and, and don't end up, you know, suffering and, and resenting things and, and dealing with all the, the bullshit that comes along with, with identities. And when I'm saying successful, I mean, like people who've gotten like rich and wealthy and everything. And, and so many of them that I've heard talk about this is like they explain it in a way where it's like the the journey was the best part it always has been so a lot of them end up given back like so much of the stuff they learned or the stuff they earned because that's not the fulfilling part the fulfilling part is the step that they're on and obviously in our society like there's stuff that comes with that but your choice of what to do with it 
is is up to you. And so many people just talk about that that process is is the peak. That being in the flow is the peak of all of it. It's not getting what comes with it. It's it's doing the things, and we get lost in trying to get the things and not focusing on the process of getting there. And it's kind of like the comparison control versus influence. And that process of, of doing it, that journey is entirely influence. And, but trying to get the things is control. So we, we want to jump over what everyone explains as being the best part to get to the thing that it leads to. And it's like, I can compare that to control, like all the rich riches and fame and money is like that idea of control that everyone's trying to get, but they're missing the the process of getting there being the influence that they have in the moment. And like that, that comparison is kind of interesting because we just want those things without the process. And it's like, we're jipping ourselves of the peak. It's crazy, but because we have these idea of, ideas of ourselves and we need validation and we need external validation in order to build it up. We don't think about process. We don't think about influence. We think about just getting a thing and building it up, building it up as, as big as we can make it. And it's, it's kind of a bummer, but I think, uh, <laughs> I think people are able to recognize that more and more. And I do feel like there's a shift away from just building up this massive idea of ourselves because we're seeing it, people getting there and seeing that it's not the answer and suffering because of it, because they feel like, you know, oh my God, my life was a waste. My life was a lie, all these things. And, and they're not at the state of peace. And so many people like super wealthy businessmen, like they're still stressed as fuck all the time and angry all the time. And it's like, is that really and people are like, oh, but they have a bunch of money, you know, cry in my Ferrari rather than smile in my Toyota or whatever. And it's like, uh, it's so fucking backwards, but it's because we rely on on those ideas, on those concepts to build up our sense of self that's an illusion to begin with. Yeah. And because of that, we don't ever know when is enough. Like we have this uh, societal religion called progress and progress doesn't have an end point. Like at what point do we go, okay, we're good. We can just live now. Right? Like, where are we going? What are we trying to progress to? Exactly how HD does our TV have to get before it's just a TV, right? Like, we always are shooting for this future instead of addressing the present. Right? Like the world is already complete. You know, if we just learn to live with it, we could make the most of it. But instead, we keep trying to create new things. We keep trying to adapt new things, right? This is why uh, Krishnamurti once said that progress is inevitably ending up on enemy lines fully armed. You run out of room eventually. Yeah, progress doesn't end. That is a fascinating realization because I've, and I've thought about that and talked to people about it because when I have conversations with people about capitalism, for example, like, oh, well, if we didn't have capitalism, you probably wouldn't have that iPhone in your hand. It's like, okay, but at what cost exactly? Like at what literal cost of like human suffering and whatnot? But at the same time, like, yeah, where does it end? I've, I don't know if I've ever really thought of that. Like there is no end point to that. And we don't think about that because we have 
the what comes along with the idea of ourselves is the belief that we die and the belief in an end of us. And so most people don't really much care for what the world's going to be like in a couple hundred, a couple thousand, a couple hundred thousand years. But when you see yourself as reality, you begin to consider that more. And I know you've spoken about uh, the Native Americans as thinking about their decisions as how it impacts seven generations to come. And we're so fucking far from that. We're so far from that. Like we're, we're concerned with the next maybe 10 years, maybe 20, if that, yeah, barely. It's more like the next election cycle, <laughs> but yeah, it's crazy how little we think about that and how little we question that. Like, where does progress end? It doesn't, there is no end to it. And as long as we keep trying to do it, we're going to keep doing it and keep seeing repercussions and keep putting band-aids on the repercussions that we experience until the mentality begins to shift. But you know, it shifts with us. It shifts with us. And what that shift is, is us just recognizing how out of whack we've gotten with what is. That's really all this is about, right? Like I always find it really interesting that at some point in human history, humans, and I, I'm going to reword that at some point in human history and capitalism, we decided that having wooden bowls that biodegraded and could just be replaced was a bad idea that we should in fact make plastic bowls that last forever and, ne and never biodegrade, right? And if you think about that, that makes no sense at all because now we have more problems. Now we have forever chemicals that are in the water. We have all kinds of things that are, are messing with the environment. And it's all just because what? We couldn't accept that the bowl's gonna eventually fade away and end? Because we couldn't accept that things come to an end because we valued ourselves according to how much our bowls were worth? Like it, it becomes a really interesting exercise when you realize how much of our industry is really just there for the sake of making more money and keeping people employed, right? But they do nothing but cause further and further conflict with reality and our environment and one another and everything else. We know this. I mean, there are, um, right now, there are little plastic uh, micro pellets or micro beads that are literally inside fish's digestive tracts in the ocean and in the freshwater lakes. That's insane, right? There are antidepressants that are being found in, in marine life. That's insane, right? Like the fact that these are everywhere. Teflon is another perfect example. There's a forever chemical that's never going to go away. And it's in everything now. And our body doesn't process that shit at all, right? Did we think about any of that? No. Why? Because we're in the pursuit of progress, in the pursuit of invention, in the pursuit of what's next. But at no point did, was that coming from a mentality that was sane. At no point did that come from a mentality that was fulfilled and complete in itself already. It was on the back of World War II. It was on the back of the Industrial Revolution. It was on the back of, of some political such and such. Like it's always on the back of some distortion. Every choice we've made as a, as a society is always based on this perception of division and this perception of fear, right? And so it's so interesting that so long as we're running from our fear, we chase progress. That's our carrot. Yeah. So do you think, so with uncertainty and endings, do you think those kind of go hand in hand? Because as something ends, we're uncertain about what's next. And when you're talking about the bowl, I, yeah, I have never really thought about that, but 
yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And we can't allow that to end just like we can't allow the idea of ourselves to end. And we have the afterlife and religion, and it's all so interwoven and interconnected. It's the same fucking mentality, the same mentality that's destroying the reality of, of our experience, destroying the earth is the same mentality that's also destroying the earth through fucking religion and a belief in an afterlife because we can't let go of the idea of ourselves, just like we can't let go of a fucking bowl ending. Like that's where it goes. And yeah, damn, that's very interesting. So, so with that, do you think then endings and fear of uncertainty, fear of endings and fear of uncertainty kind of go hand in hand because with something ending before it ends, we have some semblance of certainty of it. But as it ends, something else starts and we're not sure what that is. So it's sort of, they go hand in hand. They're kind of tied together, I feel like. Absolutely. And if you think about it, it goes back to the natural order or the procession of the seasons, right? Like each season ends and begins something else, which is another uh, iteration of change. But we, as, as especially European um, descendants, we sever ourselves from reality. We've discussed this earlier in the episode as well, but we, we build boxes. We don't move nomadically like the indigenous used to do or, or like we did tribally throughout the world for thousands and thousands of years. I mean, if it got cold, we went somewhere warm. If, if the animals moved, we moved with them, right? And so there was always this mentality of, of flow. There was always this mentality of, of being in alignment with the world because of necessity, right? But then again, we got that, that, urge to control we decided no i'm gonna stay here i'm gonna build this house i'm gonna put a wall around this house and i'm never moving regardless of what the weather is and then we took that to the point where we were literally like pumping out lakes and we're building dams and we're we're, we're modifying whole mountain ranges and this is how much control humans have now right and so the idea of surrendering the idea of just letting things be what they're supposed to be it's not even in our vocabulary anymore because it would end the capitalistic game. It would end the, the plans that government has for infrastructure. It would end all of these plans for progress over the next 10 to 50 years because we'd have to come back to what's happening now, right? We talked about this, I think it was in season two here in uh, British Columbia last year, they had some massive flooding and it was this whole floodplain. It just, it just was all underwater and everybody was shocked except for the local indigenous tribe who's like, yeah, there used to be a lake there. It came back. That's how that happens, right? You can't pump this stuff out forever. Eventually your pumps are gonna die. Eventually you're gonna run out of power. Eventually you're gonna like, you can't control it forever, but that's what we're trying to do. That's what this game is all about. And it's unfortunately the reason that we have oligarchs and we have you know um, corrupt governments like, like Russia and China and the United States and Canada, they're not exempt by any means. But the, the whole point is that it's all a part of this, this distorted game of I am separate and in control. And as long as I have that illusion and everybody else is just as greedy as me, nobody has to stop until it's too late. And that's where we're getting to, right? And so this is kind of what I was saying at the beginning of this episode is that sometimes universal love is quite painful in the short term, but it actually is what's best for us if we can surrender to it and find our strength throughout that process. And that is a large part of what's happening in the world right now 
it's not going to feel like it. And it certainly doesn't to everybody who's suffering through mental health and everybody who's suffering through all of the societal decay that's happening, or if they've been oppressed or they're just being marginalized, it doesn't feel like universal love. But then again, neither did being born. Being born is probably one of the most uncomfortable things in the world. Your head is literally squished right down to, to like a tiny, tiny little bit and then forced out into the world where now you're exposed to air and light and sound and pain. It's not a pleasant experience, but from it comes the entirety of your existence. From it comes all the potential of the rest of your life. That's what we are going through collectively right now as we start to wake up to the fact that we are all one awareness. We're being reborn. The question is, what's next? And that's what we're all so fucking afraid of. <laughs> but it's exciting as well. Like that uncertainty, people forget that the uncertainty in life is what gives it something, some semblance of meaning. Like that's what gives it its beauty is uncertainty. And yet it's our biggest fear. But and I've used this analogy before. I've, I've made videos about it. Like say, for example, you're watching a football game or a soccer game or a baseball game or some sporting event. And say there was a hypothetical situation in which you knew who won the game. You knew not only who won the game, but how every play ended up, what passes were caught, what passes were dropped. You knew everything and you're watching it. How much longer would you watch that game? You'd turn that shit off and like, I would turn that shit off at least in like five seconds. I'd be like, I know all this. This guy does this next. This guy does this next. This guy, you know, they end up winning the game. And yet we desire that for reality. We desire that for our lives. We're like, I don't know what's going to happen. I want to know what's going to happen. I'm clinging to this false sense of certainty, which doesn't actually end up happening or we fear what might happen. And we don't know. You don't know anything, but that's the exact thing that gives life its beauty. Because if you knew, life would suck. You're like, all right, well, this isn't very fun. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn this off now. Because what's the point? There's no, there's no spice to it. There's no fun to it. If you knew everything that was gonna happen, so even with the idea of God, the people get caught up in like God knows everything. It's like, well, that wouldn't be a very fun reality for him to watch if, if you believe in that, right? Like what fun would that be? Unless you let go of knowing everything in the future and took part as us and recognize that I would rather there be uncertainty. I would rather not know everything that's going to happen and just know everything that is here and now, which is what we are. We do. We are all knowing collectively as awareness experiencing itself here and now we are all knowing we are all aware and omnipotent and omnipresent when you recognize that you're not divided from it you are as reality so yeah i mean uncertainty is the exact thing that gives life its beauty and it's our biggest collective fear and it's so fucking fascinating how half-assed backwards that is yeah it really is it's funny because we'll almost try to, to tell ourselves there are only a certain amount of things that could possibly happen just so we don't have to feel uncertain, right? Because if we can li limit the possibilities, that limits the uncertainties, right? But if you think about each and every moment being limitless possibility, how can you not have uncertainty? It's limitless possibility, infinite. You can go in any direction you want, right? Of course, that's uncertain. That's absolute freedom. It's absolute freedom to just 
be and go in a direction. So there's no certainty there because it's constant freedom. Freedom isn't certain, right? It never is. So on that note, we're gonna wrap up the episode here in a few minutes. I just wanted to say quickly to everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It's been a lot of fun. I know I was rambling a little bit at the beginning of this episode. It's just kind of getting my chops back after having a week of silence. Um, I do appreciate your patience throughout all of that. Of course, I do want to remind you that we do have our group chats on Patreon every week. We'd love to see you there if you're not already a Patreon member. Uh, if you can't join us on Patreon, do join us on Discord because that, that community is growing all the time. And admittedly, the dialogue on that community is amazing. I love popping on there just to listen or just to read some of the advice that some of the members give other members or some of the stories that other members are sharing because it is inspiring. It's great to see. And admittedly, there's been a number of times where somebody has asked a question and I just haven't had the time to address that question. And it's so very interesting and of course seamless to come back later on that afternoon and find somebody else has answered the question in exactly the way that I would have wanted to, or even in a better way than I would have. Because of course, that's how that works. Get out of the way, let it happen, right? Let love play its part as it were. So I just wanted to say thank you for joining us for this awesome episode. It's been a hell of a, a conversation. Before we wrap up though, I do wanna mention, or I do wanna ask Andrew something quickly because he recently got a chance to watch V for Vendetta which is by far one of my favorite movies. And I've had a friend in the past tell me that watching that movie reminded him of me because of how I tend to see things as being very small steps in a very large cascade of dominoes, as it were. And so I would really like to get your take on that movie. What was the symbolism or what was the, uh, the overarching messages that you got from that character? Because it's deep. It's way deeper than most people give it credit for. Yeah. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things is that there are no rules. And when you build a sensitivity to reality, like a true sensitivity to reality, you act accordingly. And there is no right or wrong way to act. There's only the reality of what you do and the impact that you have. And you see everything impacting everything else. And sometimes that means playing the hero. And sometimes that means playing the, the villain. And, you know, I won't say too many specifics but you know there's some parts where he was absolutely villainous to those he truly loved and villainous to society and also heroic towards society and it came back to people's perception like the same exact event inspired hope and created disruption in someone's desire for control and it's almost like he kind of reminds me of the Joker in, you know, the Dark Knight, for example, like instilling some chaos. Obviously, the Joker has more malicious intent. I think his intent was a little more on the positive side of, of making impacts on reality or at least shifting things to a more unified reality and a less divided and, and controlled reality. But sprinkling in some chaos, ruffling some feathers is absolutely okay and and sometimes entirely necessary and there's there's nothing wrong with it sometimes that's what's needed when we go so fucking far in a direction of a desire for control there has there sometimes has to be some balance on the far end of the other end so yeah it's a fucking awesome movie i i want to watch it again because there's so much to it that i probably 
could watch it five times and like catch more and more throughout. Like so much, so much of his dialogue, I think was like, if I, if I can like even pay closer attention to what he's really saying, I feel like there was a lot, just so much there, but yeah, it was fucking awesome. Yeah, it is. It's a fantastic example of the importance of commitment and priority of actually seeing the system for what it is and doing what you need to regardless regardless of how you're perceived, regardless if people understand, regardless if people even see the, the entirety of the story that led you to that decision, it has to mean something to you, right? And if it does, that's love. That's love, whether people agree with it or not, right? And so I, I think it's really important, again, to just be yourself. But uh, yeah, that, that movie is amazing. I, I really enjoy towards the end when they ask, like, who was he? And the point was, he was you and he was me. It was a little bit of everybody because that's who we are when we have that clarity and that commitment. It's all of us. It's just that we tend to get lost in our confusion, right? So this is us waking up. And on that note, I think we're going to end the episode here. This has been a hell of a lot of fun. Of course, we're going to have our second community topics episode later on this week. So if you haven't had an opportunity to, to suggest a topic for this, this week, then do jump on our Discord or Patreon and suggest a topic for next week, and we'll, we'll definitely vote on it then. Um, Andrew, anything you'd like to say before we wrap up? Uh, just excited for uh, our community topics this week. I had a lot of fun on the last one and, and excited to see what ever decides on for this week and yeah just fucking excited for the the wave that's that we that we are right now it's an exciting experience and i'm i'm happy you're here for it yeah likewise this has been an amazing experience i gotta say we're coming up in our our first uh anniversary of the dualistic unity podcast on uh, i think august 30th or something was the the first time andrew and i released uh an interview between him and i and now we're going into our second year of dualistic unity might as well just uh keep up what we're doing and see what happens but uh exciting developments exciting developments if anybody wants to know more about what we have planned for dualistic unity or rather not planned so much as what might be on the agenda as we move forward with our lofty ambitions and our expansive imaginations definitely join us on Patreon because we do share some of our uh, ideas there. Of course, the NFTs we talk about there, the DAO that's going to be coming up, we talk about there. There's a bunch of stuff on the way. It's all really exciting and we're glad that you're here for it. But I'm going to stop babbling now. Thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next week for episode nine. Bye, everyone.